Wow, I made it through there. Good morning. My voice um, decided to leave somewhere yesterday afternoon slash evening. So I appreciate your grace as I have a cough drop in my mouth and have lots of water. Um, But yes, I wanted to reiterate something that Sheridan just said. We have such a unique opportunity to partner with what God is doing in the world. And so we have a church that's planted through one of our church network friends, and they are in Austria. And Austria neighbors Ukraine, and a lot of the Ukrainian refugees have found themselves in Austria. And so this church is providing for their material needs um, and also providing for some of their spiritual needs and just really excited. Um, I have had the privilege of being in Ukraine in what feels like another lifetime ago. I spent five years working in international adoption and I was in Ukraine and had the chance to advocate for vulnerable children. And so I found myself in the last month kind of unable to process um, all the feelings. Like I was in these places, I have seen it with my own eyes and now the bombs have been dropped on it. Um, And it's just like a really real, I think reminder of the opportunities we have just to like trust the Lord um, and that life is often so uncomfortable. Um, And so I'm excited to put my money where my mouth is and support brothers and sisters overseas. Um, And I'm going to pray for that and transition us to the main point of our message. And I think we've got slides coming up. Um, Father God, we love you. We trust you. Um, We just pray for this morning. I pray for the words that are about to come out of my mouth. If there's anything that is not pleasing to you or of you, would it not even reach everybody's ears, Lord? Um, And so speak through me. Um, Jesus, may you be honored in what is about to be shared this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Can you hear me now? Is this better? Less feedback? Okay. Let me get this out. Then we're going to go. Great. My goodness, so many things have gone wrong. It's all good, and it's daylight savings time. Let's just take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Okay, well, my name is Caitlin. I'm the Connections Director here, like I just shared, and I joined our church staff in August at the end of the summer, Um, and it was a long road round to get here. Um, Even just in the last year, 2020, in Indianapolis, my life was so settled. I had a cute little condo. I had a church that I loved. I had been there for seven years and was very ingrained in the life and the ministry there. And fun fact, I once did their kids camp with no mic and no voice. So this morning, the fact that I'm mic'd up is a great, great problem to have. Um, And um, I had a new job. And like a lot of Americans in 2020, I became a dog owner. And so everything in my life screamed in Indianapolis for the long run. And then I came here on a February morning, Sunday, we were still meeting at Shakespeare, and shared a little with this church body and started to see that there was something really special going on at City Church and in Cincinnati. 
So I did what you should probably never do if you don't want to move. Um, I said, Lord, I would be open to moving to Cincinnati eventually. Um, and eventually, if that was a February, eventually turned into me signing an offer letter in June. Um, and then, because I thought that like every obstacle to overcome had already been overcome, I prayed another dumb prayer. And I said, Lord, surprise me during this transition. Um, and my house went pending three different times um, in the month of July because it was on and off the market so much. And it is basically impossible to keep your house ready to be showed while you have a destructive puppy. Um, I basically moved out of my house. I only spent seven nights there, lived with friends. Um, and then I get a house sold in Indy. I buy a house here in Cincinnati. Great surprises, right? And then my body, my poor little body, had the worst autoimmune flare-up I have ever experienced. Head to toe with eczema. It is only by the grace of God that I, and prednisone, that I was able to drive my U-Haul with my life belongings across state lines. I share all of this to say I feel a little bit like Paul did when he finally arrived in Rome. The journey for Paul to get to Rome was nothing like he anticipated. Um, he was excited to be there, um, but also he was going there to defend himself um, to Caesar. And so the fact that he was shipwrecked um, in Malta, um, which we hear a lot about, Chris has walked us really well through the book of Acts. Um, and so we heard him get shipwrecked. It has been a long road round for Paul. And that is where we are going to meet him, is in Rome in Acts 28 this morning. Do we not have slides Oh, here we go. Great. Um, yep, this is where I want. Okay, cool. And so, it's going to be hard. I'm going to have to hold my Bible and talk, hold the microphone. Um, we started the book of Acts as a church over a year ago. Um, and N.T. Wright, who's a famous theologian, tells us about the book of Acts, and this quote is on your screen, that the apostles, or the early church yeah, just the early church. They're not offering people a new religious experience, though that will come as well. They are not telling them that they can now go to heaven when they die, though they will if they believe. They're to wait until the resurrection itself. Nor are they telling them that God has done an extraordinary miracle that shows how powerful he is, though he has. They are to go tell the world that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, is the world's true Lord, and to summon them into believing obedience. And that is just what they did. And so throughout the book of Acts, we see this theme of believing obedience tracked the whole way. Acts was written by Dr. Luke. He was a Gentile doctor. He did not actually meet Jesus in his lifetime, but he was part of the early church. And he got so excited about what he was hearing from these early Christians that he goes, I need to know more. And so he starts collecting all of this information meticulously in a way that only a doctor could. And he starts writing about it, first in the gospel according to Luke, and then in Acts. Um, and he, oh, he does such a good job. He writes Acts and he says, in my former book, this is Acts 1-1, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so we see throughout the book of Acts, first Peter is defending the, the early church, and he's going to lots of places, and he's boldly declaring truth. And then we start to get familiar with this man named Paul. At the time, we know him as Saul, um, and he did not like Christians. It was kind of like, if you needed a Christian killed at that time, you better call Saul. He was totally okay, because he he was so convinced that the way he had been following the Jewish law did not point Jesus as the Messiah. And he was so convinced that he was willing to kill people who believed differently. But then Jesus appears to him in a dream and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul believes. He gets a new name. And he chooses to obey based out of that obedience, oh, out of that belief. And he goes on to keep himself very, very busy. Paul comes to faith in about 35 AD. Um, and where we're going to meet him this morning is about 60 AD in Rome. So what was he doing in that time? That's a really good question. I'm so glad you asked. He um, it traveled over 13,000 miles by foot. And he would have been in his 30s at this time. Um, which when I walk more than like 10,000 steps, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel this the next morning. Um, so I, I really feel for him that he had to travel it all on foot. That is the equivalent of going from New York City to Los Angeles four and a half times. I have no interest in doing that, but I would if Jesus called me to. Um, and he is busy healing and he's teaching, teaching in so many different places. He visits churches and writes letters. He writes 13 letters, um, and he visits Cyprus, Galatia, Antioch, Macedonia, Achaia, Icodium, Athens, Philippi, Thessalonica, which is my favorite one because it's fun to say, Berea, Corinth, Ephesus, and Phyrega. And he has multiple different traveling companions, which leads to some drama at different times. He travels with Barnabas, and he travels with John Mark, and when he doesn't want to travel with John Mark anymore, he and Barnabas go their different ways. Um, he travels with Dr. Luke, who halfway in, this story, in the book of Acts actually enters in as part of the story, which is really, really fun. He went from being somebody who just gathered details about who Jesus was to actually participating in the invitation God had invited him into. And so today, we will actually hear Luke use the word we, because he was with Paul. Um, and he, Paul also travels with Silas. Um, in 57 AD, he is in Jerusalem for what ends up being the last time, I think the last time, um, and that is where he's put in jail. Chris talked about that a couple weeks ago, and he appeals to Caesar. And because he has appealed to Caesar, he must go to Rome, and he gets shipwrecked along the way. So if you have a Bible, or you want to pull out your fancy-dancy phones, we are going to go to Acts 28, starting in verse 17. And that's where we're going to be the remainder of this message. Um, okay, let me fold it over. Here we go. Really thought I'd have two hands for this, but it's okay. So it starts out saying, three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. Okay, just really quick. Paul was a Jew. He was like a professional Jew. 
we call him a Pharisee, because he was so familiar with Jewish law that he had no trouble enforcing it, hence putting people to death. And so he was calling together his own people when he calls together the local Jewish leaders. He wouldn't have known these guys because they were in Rome, and he was not from Rome. He was from Tarsus, but he was familiar with at least their customs. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, remember he's Jewish, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. Paul was so familiar with the Jewish law. The Jewish law would have been the Old Testament, and he wasn't. He knew it because he had read it, but most of the people at that time would not have been literate enough to actually read the Old Testament. But when we talk about the law, we're not talking about the New Testament. We're talking about that Old Testament. And he knows it so well that he can say, I know I didn't break it. It's not like when you're driving through your neighborhood and you know the speed limit is 25 and you go 35 and then you get pulled over and the officer goes, do you know how fast you were going? And you go, I was going 25, I promise. That was not Paul. He was so familiar that he wasn't lying and he could tell you that he actually did not break the law. He was just thrown into jail because he decided to believe in Jesus and obey Jesus. He continues, the Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar, which is why he's arrived in Rome. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. Paul's being very sincere. He does not mean to be a troublemaker, although they really thought that he was one. Um, I have written in my Bible in Acts where they call him like a troublemaker. I'm like, I want to be a troublemaker for Jesus. That sounds kind of fun. Um, but that wasn't his intention at this point. His intention was simply to obey Jesus. And then he says, for this reason, which if we were sitting across the table from each other, this is when I would say lean in close. It's going to get so good. Something great is about to be shared. It is for this reason that I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. The hope of Israel, what does that mean? Well, hope in Greek means an expectation of things to come. And so when we talk about the Israelites, God's chosen people, they're hoping for something in the future. And they're hoping for a Messiah. And so Paul is essentially saying, because we know, we know the life that he's lived and we kind of speak his language, it is because of who Jesus is that he truly is the Jewish Messiah that I'm willing to be put under house arrest in Rome in order to tell you about who he is. He is so worthy. He is so good. He has proved himself to me in such a way that I have no choice but to come to Rome and tell you about him. And he goes, and they replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you. And none of our people have come from there as reported or said anything bad about you. That's really funny. Kind of ironic. He assumes that they're coming in for a fight. And they're like, actually, we haven't even heard about necessarily what's going on here. Like, what do you mean? But 
We want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect. So this is in your notes if you're following along. But Paul has lived in such a way that he has stirred up curiosity. And this curiosity leads to opportunities because he has walked in obedience. And just to make a note here, Paul does not come in telling them they're wrong at this point. This is his first encounter with the Jewish leaders, and he could boldly declare truth. He was able to do that. And instead, he comes in humbly and says, hey, this is what's going on. Because curiosity has the ability to do that. When we live differently because of what we believe, people will naturally ask questions. I mean, other places in the Bible, we have to like tell us, this is not an excuse not to declare truth. It's simply the opportunity to let our lives be our witness first, and then use our word second. Um, <clears throat> so they're so excited to hear more. So they arranged, we're in verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He would have been staying in a house under house arrest, so there would have been a Roman guard outside. And it would not have been a room like this. It likely would have been hot. It would have been smelly with all those bodies and no deodorant. It likely would have gotten loud just because there were a lot of people. And he would not have had a microphone. I just think it's really fun to step into scripture and think about what it would have looked like. It would have been a really packed room because they came in larger numbers. And I can tell you, probably Paul's level of hospitality would not have included a charcuterie board. It's not really what he would have been doing. But he still welcomed them into their home and he told them what was true. And he says, um, he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets and tried to persuade them about Jesus. Paul uses language that they're familiar with because these are local Jewish leaders. They would have been very familiar with the law and the prophets. And so he uses their language. He makes it accessible to them. And he boldly declares what's true. He's witnessing to them in the space where they have come to him. Um, and he tries to persuade them that Jesus really is the Messiah. And he's probably using his own experience, and he's definitely using Old Testament prophecies to say, hey, this is what happened, and this is what told us that that was going to happen. Why can't you believe? Well, we're getting to that. Some were convinced by what he said, and others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave. Sounds a lot like 2020, or 2022, I guess. Still two years ago in my head. Um, some believed, some didn't believe, and so they decided to fight with each other. Man, nothing new under the sun, friends. I've, like, been reminded of that so much in studying this scripture, as we like to think that what we're approaching in 2022 is, like, new stuff. These are new conflicts. These are new issues. In the old times, they didn't deal with this. It was still very similar. Pride was still a huge issue. We still had people who believed and didn't believe, and that led to conflict, and that conflict bubbles over, and that conflict distracts from the truth of the gospel. 
Um, they began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy, this is Paul talking. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet. Really quickly, Isaiah was an old, was a Jewish prophet. So he is sent to boldly declare truth to the Jewish people. It was not a fun job to be a prophet. Not one single little bit. They weren't very liked. They probably did not get invited to parties because they were telling people they were wrong all the time. And the audience that Isaiah would have had would have been a traditional Jewish audience, and he was calling them to turn away from the life they were living and pursue God. And these are Paul quoting Isaiah's words. Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and in turn, I would heal them. So Isaiah is saying, and Paul is reiterating, that the fact that the Jewish people don't believe in Jesus was actually prophesied. It wasn't new news. The fact that they don't believe isn't really that concerning. It's simply this. Their, eye, their ears were closed, their eyes were closed, and their heart had become callous. And that is what we see in our lives true as, true as well. Um, that it pre- What prevents us from obeying is that we haven't believed yet. And what prevents us from believing can be a hardened heart. That we just don't hear it and we don't see it and we don't experience it because we're not allowing ourselves to do so. And Paul says, this is his own words, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. There's this fancy word in this scripture called salvation. And it's a word that, like, I've been walking with Jesus for probably 12 years, and I still have a hard time defining it. And this week, as I was preparing to talk with you, I was like, oh, I got to chew on this one. So salvation, in the original Greek, Um, according to my Blue Letter Bible, means um, soteras. Um, And it actually says, he who embodies salvation or through whom God is about to achieve it. Well, I can tell you, and I know we've got kids in the room, can you use a word to define a word? Can I use the word salvation to define salvation? My friends in the front row. Can I use a word, the word, to define the word? No, it's silly. How can I understand what salvation is when you're using the word in the definition? So salvation means someone who's going to achieve salvation? This is why this is so complicated. This is why we've struggled. This is why it's hard to define it. So I went to a dictionary, and salvation comes from the root word that also means save means preserve or deliver or protect or repair. And so I have been even thinking about my own life, and I have really, really bad skin. 
um, my eczema like causes my skin to be broken. And so one of the things that people have recommended over time is lotion to repair my skin. Another word for lotion is salve, H-A-L-V-E, which comes from the word save, that this skin repair would repair my skin. Why do we need something to be repaired? Stay with me. I know that we're still talking about salvation from Scripture. So we need something to save us. We need a repair because God created a perfect, perfect world. It was perfect. It was full of beauty. And people coexisted with him beautifully in the garden. But it didn't last very long. Adam and Eve and you and I have thought something, said something, or done something that dishonors God. In fact, you probably did it this morning. I know I did. We broke that perfect relationship with God. And as a result, we've broken our relationship with ourselves and with humanity, with each other, as a result of sin. So God created it. We broke it. And it needs to be repaired. And that's where salvation comes in. That God decided that he was going to create a way for us to repair the relationship. We cannot repair that relationship on our own. I can tell you I have spent a lot of my 31 years of life trying to be as good as possible, thinking that I could get back there, that I could morally hype myself up just like the Jews thought they could do, that they thought they could obey the law well enough to get themselves back. But they couldn't. And so God sent someone, he who embodies salvation, remember, he sent someone to repair the broken relationship. And that person is Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. And so the Jews and the Gentiles find themselves in a place where God has done all the work and they simply have to receive it or they have to believe it. And that belief will radically change their life. It radically changes the life of Paul. It radically changes your life. And it leads you back to a life of obeying out of belief and not out of moral compulsion. That you can choose to believe not because you think that you can make it on your own, but that you can... Um, obey because you love Jesus, because he's done a work in your life, and you can't help but believe. And so that's what Paul's telling them. He's saying, hey, I want you to know that God's salvation was sent to you. Fellow Jews, he sent you Jesus because he saw you couldn't achieve it by law. But when you let your hearts get hardened, he decided he was moving on. Not because he didn't love you, because there's still a way for you. But he decided that the Gentiles needed it too. And so it goes on. So we see the listening, the believing, and the obeying there. So for two whole years, remember Paul is under house arrest. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. That would have included both Jews and Gentiles that he was welcoming into that home. And he rented the house that they had him under house arrest for. 
That one's like really got me this week. I'm like, that's crazy. Like who pays rent on a house they're being forced to stay in and who there's a guard outside? That's silly. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's really, I think, ironic that we see that word without hindrance when Paul is under house arrest. He was physically hindered from leaving his home. He believed in Jesus. He went where Jesus told him to by obeying. And Paul experienced freedom even in situations where he should not have experienced freedom. He should have felt constrained, and yet he boldly declared truth without hindrance to all people who would come to him. And while Paul is under house arrest in this house in Rome, he writes some of his most joyous letters. He writes Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. Philippians is thought to be the book of joy. And so not only did belief lead Paul to obey, which led him to freedom, but on the other side of that freedom is true joy, that he would not be constrained and that that would help him trust in the Lord in a deeper way. Um, And I have just cute little boxes up here for you to see that. And it's really easy to think that it looks linear, But really, it looks something like this, right? Because we all find ourselves in different stages here. Um, I, like I shared, I became a dog owner in 2020. You can change. Yep, there you go. Okay. Um, That is my very favorite thing in the whole world. That is Duke the Doodle, my real-life stuffed animal. Duke was born in Lebanon, Ohio. And I was living in Indianapolis at the time. And so my mom knew the breeder, and she went out up, and she picked Duke up, or out. And then she also came with me to pick him up on pickup day. Gotcha day, maybe. I don't know. Do they still use that word? Um, When Duke became mine. Um, And so from the, and it was November, so we were back in Cincinnati quite a bit. Um, for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so early on, my mom and my dog had a cute little bond, which is great. My mom's great. She's in this room. Um, I loved watching Duke, like, follow her around. Well, Duke was like a devilish doodle. Um, We called him Duke the destructive doodle, um, Duke the darn doodle, um, except for not darn. Um... And he had a mind of his own from the very, very beginning. He was as cute as could be and as spunky as could be. The picture up there, he was actually on the coffee table. Like he found a way to get onto the coffee table. He would get himself under furniture. I have four kitchen chairs at my house right now that still have all of his bite marks. Like he, if there was something he could do to be destructive, he was. In fact, I was working full-time outside the home, and I would come home, and I would take him for a quick little walk, and then I'd feed him, and you'd think like, oh, you just want me to rub your belly. This will be so fun tonight. We'll just snuggle. He would back me into a corner and jump on me and try to bite me. It was not fun at all. He, I think there's a hole in these jeans somewhere because he would, like, bite my legs and my ankles. And my best friend called at one point, And I'm backed into a corner. I'm like, I just don't know what to do with this dog. I love him, but he needs to stop. 
And my friend said, Caitlin, we have to get Duke to the point that he wants to obey you and to please you. And he's not there yet. So I did all the things. I read the books. We did puppy class. We snuggled. He went to doggy daycare. We went on long walks. We did so many different things. And in those puppy books, I actually read that if you and your dog look into each other's eyes, it releases oxy, oxy, what's that one? Oxytocin. Thank you. I was going to say oxycotton, and that is a drug. <laughs> um, oxytocin is the same drug that is released when, you, when a mom breastfeeds her baby. So it um, creates this super, like a really special bond. And so Duke and I looked into each other's eyes so much because I was like, I just want this dog to obey me. I want him to want to. I want him to love me as much as I love him. He slept in his crate and he had the prong collar and he had the shocker collar. And I mean, so much. And he also went to the emergency room because he ate a glove. It was a sign of things to come, friends. Like, such a rascal. Um, And I... He stayed with me during this transition to Cincinnati. And about a year later, from when I got him, um, my mom was over at my house, and we are decorating for Christmas, and I popped down into the basement. And I said, hey, Mom, will you just talk to Duke so he doesn't follow me down? Because if he follows me down, then getting him back up, and I needed boxes, and I didn't want to trip over him. And I get back up the stairs, and Duke is sitting right at the door, like pawing at the door. And my mom said to me, Caitlin, that dog knows that you, he belongs to you, and he does not want to let you out of his sight. And so over time, Duke came to believe, and I know that he's a dog, so like, just go with me with the story. He came to believe that he belonged to me, and that led him to actually obey me. Even this morning as I was like trying to get him to do things and not lose my voice even more and normally I have to raise my voice with him, he like simply knew that I had no voice and he obeyed me based on my hands. I don't, it was supernatural this morning, I don't really know. But Duke had come to believe that he belonged to me and that led him to greater obedience. And he's a dog, so it's not like he could have a moral compulsion to do good. But we get to remember that too. That once we have come to belong to God, once we believe that Jesus is who Jesus says he is, that that leads us to a place of obedience. And an obedience out of a desire to please God, a desire to honor God, a desire to see God as who God is, that is not simply based on keeping the law. And the book of Acts has been exactly that, friends. It has been the actual account, because the Bible is true, of what actually happened when people's lives were transformed by Jesus. That their belief changed their lives and led them to obey. And then it also led them to freedom. And they experienced in so many ways the joy that comes from believing in Jesus. And so this is all great, right? Maybe you don't even get my Duke analogy, and that's totally fine. But what happens 
when we find ourselves in a place where we simply just don't believe. Maybe it's been like a really hard season. We've all walked through them where belief is really hard. Or we know what we believe, but we can't find it in us to obey. Or we keep obeying, 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 but we know we're obeying for the wrong reasons because we think it will earn us something in the sight of God or will earn us respect from our people. Or maybe we've even got the belief and the obedience and then we're the whole way and we're just not experiencing freedom. And the joy's not there. I've been there. I'm thinking you've been there too. If you haven't, come find me and tell me all your secrets. And so if we find ourselves in these places, we first have to ask ourselves, have we believed Jesus? And then the next question is, are we believing Jesus? Are we believing Jesus is who he says he is? So I've got three quick questions for us that are going to come up on the screen, and they're also in your message, your notes. Um, when we find ourselves in the places where belief is really hard, admit to the Lord that your heart is not fully in it. We all have those days. I've had those days this week. Maybe moments, not full days, but still. Like I, there, it's just part of the human experience that our hearts are not always in it. And so admit that to God. Say, Lord, I'm just not there. I'm having trouble believing. I'm having trouble obeying. My belief and my obedience aren't lining up. I'm not experiencing freedom. And he will meet you there, I promise. Because you get to ask God to meet you there. Um, to ask him to come into your disbelief or your unbelief and say, God, I need you. I need you. Would you meet me here? Would you show me once again, or maybe for the first time, why I believed in you in the first place? Would you show me what obedience based on belief and not based on moral compulsion looks like? Not based on just trying to be good. Show me, Lord. Show me what it would look like to live in freedom. Because he wants to. And then you get to act out of your identity and not out of your feelings. Hear me say loud and clear, feelings have a place. I used to go to a church that like, we just didn't really even need to talk about feelings because they weren't real. That's not what we believe here. We also believe that your identity is so much above what you may be feeling at any minute. And so when you find yourselves in seasons, or just every day we have this choice, to live out and act out of our identity and not out of our feelings. If you have made the decision to follow Jesus, if you've put your belief in him, if you've chosen to try to obey him every day of your life, then your identity is sealed. Nothing is changing that, no matter how you may feel. You may feel far from God. You may feel like you've blown it. You may feel like there's not a place for you, but your identity is this that you are fully loved by a holy God. When Duke was in his heyday of disobeying me, when he was waking me up in the middle of the night, even now when he has been like the worst thing in the world sometimes, one, two things never changed. He never stopped being a dog. 
and he also never stopped being mine. No matter what was, he was behaving in a certain way, but his identity never changed. Because our identity is sealed in that initial belief. And because we know that that's not changing, we want to look like the early church followers who said, I'm going to obey you, Jesus. I'm going to obey you even when it's hard. I'm going to obey you even when it's not what I intended or when the timeline is not quite right. So we are actually, um, as a church, it's kind of a couple steps here. The first one being the band can come up. Um, The next one being that you are about to see a video about our Mexico mission trip in the coming up in June. And so maybe for you, this next level of obedience, this next place of saying, Jesus, I believe who you say you are, it might be a mission trip with our church. It may also just be that you've never prayed that Jesus would be your Messiah. And there will be people praying down here with you. There are all sorts of ways to respond to today's message. And if you are struggling with belief or obedience, I just encourage you um, in this time to talk to the Lord about it. And if you want somebody to come and pray with you, um, they will be up here and they would love to pray for you, pray over you, listen to you. Um, And I'll probably hang out up here too if I have any words left and you're not scared of getting my sickness. Um, So I'm going to pray. We're going to transition to the video. And then the band is going to lead us. Dear Lord, we love you. We believe you are who you say you are. And we just pray that there were, if there was anything shared that was not of you, that it would be left, God. And we just pray that you build our belief. And that leads us to obedience, not based on trying to simply be good, but out of honoring you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.